Hello, everyone. Welcome back, or welcome, to Fire the Cannon. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. And next week, we will be doing that. We'll be reading Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. This week, take that premise, throw it out the window. (laughs) We almost never do the real premise. Mm. No, not almost never. I would say two-thirds of the time we stick to it. We will be your hosts for this episode. One of us, myself, will be Rachel. Mm -hmm. The other, myself, will be Jackie. There's also somebody else here. That's the producer. The executive producer. Well, thanks for joining us, Exec Prod. I'm the producer.exe. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Go. Adding new accolades every week. <laughs> like Theo Chandler, comma, MS, comma, DM, DM, comma, EXE. <laughs> no, dot EXE. Dot EXE. <laughs> so Jackie will be our guide this week through the wacky and wonderful life of Franz Kafka. Franz Kafka. And she's the only one who recently brushed up on her Kafka knowledge. I only have what I already knew as of a couple weeks ago. And since then, I've plugged my ears whenever people try to tell me about him. And I refuse to Google him. I'm the only one who knows anything. I actually went in and like eternal sunshine to everything they knew about Kafka right out of their brain. So I'm the top dog. <laughs> I'm the captain now. I love saying that, by the way. I've never seen <laughs> We've Captain We've been Phillips. saying it a lot the past I know. couple months. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but I love saying I am the captain now. It makes me feel so powerful. Wow. Uh, okay, wait. Before we get started, I wanted to say this past weekend was Father's Day and I was home for it. And my dad asked me like, oh, what are you reading? And I said, I was reading Kafka's The Metamorphosis. And he has never heard of it before at all. He's like, what's that about? And I said, it's about, you know, Gregor Samso woke one morning to find that he'd been transformed into a giant insect. And he's like, what? So, yeah. So he said he's never heard of the metamorphosis. And I was like, well, have you heard of Kafka? And he said, no. And I said, you know, like the trial, never heard of it. And I said, have you heard of the phrase or the word Kafka-esque? And he said that he has heard of that. (laughs) But did he have any idea what it meant? Uh, well, I no, but I explained what it meant, and I said it's kind of mostly related to the book The Trial, but anyway. So he asked me to tell him a little bit about it, and I was like, Dad, just wait for the episodes. So Yeah, come on, Dad. Jackie, did you have any Father's Day weekend stories to share, or you want to get right into it? <laughs> no, my dad uh, begged me not to tell my Father's Day story, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm not going to be doing that. Wait, really? He said, don't put this on the podcast, please. He did? (laughs) Leave in that there's something he doesn't want in, but don't say what it was. (laughs) That's funny. If I don't say what it is, people are going to imagine something much worse. It was just some technical difficulties. Wait, let me me explain. We don't have time for this. You know how Jackie has a lot of problems with recordings? She comes by it honestly. (laughs) It's it's hereditary. (laughs) Wait, yeah. Actually, can we just touch on a few of the problems uploading? Uh, if you insist. Dad, I didn't okay. do this. If he actually doesn't want that, then yeah, we... You know, we it, well, we've laughed about it. It's fine. Okay. We'll just leave it at, yeah, she definitely inherited her technical ability from her father. But That's not true. I'm good with computers. she's a millennial, she's still better. <laughs> Here's the thing. I summed it up to Joshua this way. I did not think there were so many wrong ways, different (laughs) formulations, too. It's not like he kept doing the same thing over and over again. He did something (laughs) wrong, new, each time. Yeah, Jackie. (laughs) Not in recording, not in downloading Audacity, not even in creating the MP3, exporting the file. Simply just getting the file to me on the internet in any format whatsoever. It was like a three-day process, and 
each time he would be like, I did it. And it would be something completely crazy. <laughs> Some unbelievable new wrong thing. <laughs> Kafka-esque. It was Kafka-esque. It was for me because I was about ready to defenestrate myself. But he at one point downloaded my own audio and re-uploaded it and was like, I did it. I don't know why you needed that, but uh, I did it. And I was like, that's not what I needed. <laughs> I don't know why you needed that. That's so good. Jackie, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yeah, uh, this is another of my favorites. Sorry, Dad. It was just so funny. Um, Another of my favorites was he, um, oh, I just blanked on it. What was it? My favorite was that he did WeTransfer and he sent you a shortcut to the file, like a desktop shortcut to the file instead of the file itself. When did he even make the shortcut? I don't know. The best one was when he was like, I sent you a file and you're like, oh, look, it's a file. But it was your file that he had downloaded and then re-uploaded. That was the best. That's one. what I just said. That's what I just said. Yeah, that's what I just said. But, but I'm, I'm agreeing because Theo likes a different one. I'm saying, no, yours is the best. No, I like the shortcut one because it's like, did he just accidentally make the shortcut or was he like, I'm going to need access to this later? <laughs> I'm going to re-listen. I'm sure he made it accidentally because I was telling him like right click and make a zip folder or something. And he's like, oh, I just, oh anyway. Oh, another thing he did was he shared it with his SharePoint account through his work and then sent that to me. And I'm like, I'm not an employee, so I can't get to that. Another (laughs) one was, um, I told him, go to drive.google.com. He said, I can't do that. I don't have that. I said, yes, you can. I said, go to it. He said, I don't, I, what do you mean go to it? I said, go to the internet and type in drive.google.com. And he, and he types something and he goes, it didn't work. This doesn't work. Nothing works. I typed in googledrive.com. Nothing works. I said, it wasn't googledrive.com. It was drive.google.com. You have to, it's so funny because my dad is a really smart man, but he is all about like just figuring out a way and like creating a new process and like forging a path. And he, this is the thing that you can't be approximate with computers. Like if you type in faceboob.com, it does not matter how close that is to Facebook. It's not getting you to Facebook. It doesn't, the computer's not going to be like, eh, yeah. I, I see what he was trying to do. It's like baking, not cooking. Computers are dumb. You're, we're too smart for the computers. That's the problem. Hmm. Listen, computers, I don't agree with her when you take over. I'm on your side. Jackie's not. Kill her, not me, etc. I'm still undecided. <laughs> is neutral. I'm neutral just in case the humans actually take over. Okay, go Jackie. <laughs> well, I can't say this one because this this includes the password. This includes the password. Yes, yeah, don't Drive. say the password. But finally, I said, we'll put it on a Patreon bonus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, let me log into your Google Drive. I think you may have uploaded it there instead. So he gives me his username and his password and his password is uh, basically a curse word. <laughs> Bleep it out, Theo. Fucking shit. But he, that's the thing. He didn't tell me all in one word. He spelled it out for me one letter at a time. And at the end, I was like, wait, <laughs> shit. And he was like, yeah, that's what I made my password. Because <laughs> that's what I think of this whole thing. <laughs> didn't you say it's because he was really mad the last time he had to change his password? Yeah, he's like so tired. And I get it. I get it. He's he's so tired of like creating a password and an account for every single thing, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, Dad. It was just so funny. It was just so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Like, it feels like he was trolling you, but you would know if he was or not, I guess. I know. I, I literally said, I feel like in order for someone to do it that many different ways, they have to be fucking with me. But he wasn't. You would have to actually know a lot about computers to be able to mess up that many different ways. <laughs> that wasn't even half of it, guys. That wasn't even half of it. I like the idea of he's trolling you and he's just saying to himself as he's doing it. Happy Father's Day to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
that shows the strength of my father's love for me. He tried really hard. And it, he was driving. He drove from North Carolina to Virginia in the middle of all this, too, and, like, took his computer with him and, like, tried logging in on different days. Like, he had a hard time. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, in the actual recording, he popped. He really did. He was great. He was he was great. Yeah. I did tell him if I had to do his job, I would struggle 10 times as hard. So, you know, it's all about sticking to what you know, I guess. <laughs> Growing secret tomatoes. <laughs> What's his job? <laughs> What's his job? He's like the safety overseer of major construction sites for like pharmaceutical companies and chemistry labs and shit. Mm. So if I did that, people would literally die instead of just wanting to kill themselves. <laughs> 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 so, Dad, good on you. Yeah, good on you, Danny B. Speaking of wanting to kill ourselves, let's talk about Kafka. You ready? Yeah. Right, Fee? Cool. That's just a joke. Suicide isn't funny. Um, Don't. <laughs> you can't make the joke and be like, by the way, that joke, not funny. And if you laughed at it, you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're canceled if you laughed at that. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Well, do you want to hear a story about my trip to London? Is it short? Yeah, sure. Or do you want to say, okay, go ahead, go ahead. It's very short. It's not even a story. I, You know how there's the Tower of London? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went by there. I walked by that. I was like, oh, cool. And then there's the Tower Bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After I walked across the Tower Bridge, I looked to my left and saw a restaurant called the Tower Bridge Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I thought... You know, if you just saw that out of context, it would be like, like you're trying to do too many things at once. Can't be a tower, bridge, and a kitchen. I feel like you're just practicing stand up on us right now. <laughs> That's just like a joke you thought of. Yeah. What else? What else? What else? Yeah. Anyway, airplane food. Am I right? <laughs> it is funny yeah, that right. they kept. So you have the tower, then you have the tower bridge, then you have the tower bridge kitchen. Like they just keep tacking on one more thing. Yeah. yeah. And beyond that, there was the tower bridge kitchen dining room cafe. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I bet it has a Tower Bridge kitchen bathroom as well. Tower Bridge kitchen, kitchen bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> That's not a thing that I like to see in my restaurant titles. <laughs> no, I'm saying there's a bathroom in the restaurant. And we're advertising it. Tower Bridge kitchen <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unlike every other restaurant in London, we have a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in London tomorrow for seven hours. You should check out the Tower Bridge Kitchen. It's great. (laughs) I'll take a photo if I see it. We are planning to walk across the Tower Bridge. All right. Go ahead, Jack-Jack. Why did someone just typed at the beginning of my outline about Kafka. Kafka was a brave man. It wasn't me. I haven't looked at it. Let's just get started, okay? <laughs> I think we had a hacker. <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> Trying to participate. <laughs> the reason yeah. this recording is a little bit later in the week than we originally planned on it being is because I have gotten a little bit obsessed with Kafka and it wasn't enough for me to just read like one or two or three or four internet pages about him. Internet pages, websites, what do we call them? <laughs> oh, God, it is rubbing off on me. Possessed by Dan. <laughs> I, I went to www.thenet.com. And anyway, but I've been reading a lot about him. And specifically, I've been reading a biography called Kafka, The Decisive Years. And that is by an author who I don't have in front of me, and I will remember it later. But it is so good. Kafka was such an interesting person, a very, very brave man, according to my outline, though I don't remember where I I source required for that one. I think when we were discussing doing this episode, I told you he was like a depraved little freak or something. You did. A little weasel freak or something like that. You did. You did. Um, And then Joshua told me he's what we would refer to today as an incel. Both of those things, I think, are very, very misunderstandings. 
He's very misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Jackie's coming in telling us right at the beginning he was a brave man. Why do you keep doing that, Theo? What? He wants to feel like he's contributing. (laughs) Can't you understand that? The book I've been reading, Kafka, The Decisive Years, is one of three books in a biography trilogy by Reiner Stock. And I couldn't remember his name because I wanted to say like Stocker Rein or... It's like Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah. I think the popular conception of Kafka, let's go over what a lot of people know. He was a freak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) His dad made him visit prostitutes when he was a teenager, and that really messed him up. Um, He had a really fucked up relationship with his father. He was an incel. He was terrified of women. All of these things have a little grain of truth to them, but that's not really the point. (laughs) I think I would like to talk about Kafka, and I might come back to different topics over different periods of time. But what I did was I have an outline. I'll just kind of start with the beginning. Kafka, in addition to being a very brave man, was at one time a very brave baby. <laughs> he was born on July 3rd, 1883. Wait, when was he baptized? I have no idea. He's not He's not Christian. <laughs> so that kind of leads into my next point. He had a lot of forces that were kind of tearing him in different directions. He was born in Prague in what is now the Czech Republic, but at the time was Bohemia. And Bohemia and Austria and the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Germany We're all kind of like fighting over everything at this time. I'm not going to really talk too much about that, but basically his family was of German Jewish ethnicity, but they lived in Prague amongst a lot of Christians. And there were also a lot of Jewish people in Prague, but they were assimilated. They didn't really strictly follow Judaism. They only went to church or sorry, synagogue like a few times a year. So he was kind of not really sure what he was a lot of the time. He spoke German in Prague, surrounded by Prague people speaking Czech, and he kind of spoke Czech, but with an accent. You know, even early in his school years, he was like very, very, very smart. Um, Probably he's a genius, and he declared himself an atheist and became a vegetarian and all of this. And, you know, that phase we all go through. He lived with his family in this really small little house in Prague, which I've actually been to twice. um, And I didn't really understand the importance of it at all. I just kind of was like, eh, I'm in Kafka's house. You went twice? Yeah, that's a lot of times to go to Kafka's house without really (laughs) caring about him. (laughs) Was it two separate trips? Or were you like staying there? I was staying there. (laughs) Airbnb? I stayed basically across the street from it, though. I went two different times with two different people. So both times I was like, all right, let's go see, let's go see Kafka. His house was tiny and he had three younger sisters. He also had two brothers, but I think they both died in infancy. So he was the oldest sibling and he lived in this tiny house with his, his three sisters and his mother and father. And he lived there until he was 30, I believe. So he was straight up just like always with his family, but he was always a little different. So here's the thing, Theo, the last time we had, we talked about a writer, it was someone where you're like, oh gosh, he died at 29 and he'd already had all these kids and done all this stuff. I don't think I could live up to that. Uh, Kafka's the opposite. Well, here's a writer (laughs) who still lived with his parents at age 30. Nice. Yeah. And spoiler, never had any kids. So there is a lot that's said about Kafka and his relationship to his father. And yes, it was it was toxic. Hermann Kafka, his father, he was like a large, strapping, healthy man, and he owned um, the family business, which was a store. And 
Kafka was expected to kind of grow up and take on this role, but Kafka could not be less interested in business whatsoever. Um, he did go to university. He studied chemistry for like two weeks, and then he changed to law because that's what his father wanted him to do, and he was always very beholden to the whims of his father and wanted to make him proud and stuff. So he studied law, and so he was actually a lawyer, um, and he practiced at law for most of his life. It was mostly in like a workers' comp insurance kind of company, which is Ooh. a little bit macabre because he was basically representing people at factories who were like having their hands and limbs chopped off. Kafka was also um, part owner of an asbestos factory with one of his brothers-in-law um, and he <laughs> suffered terrible guilt over this asbestos factory not because of asbestos because they didn't really know what it did at the time but it was because he wasn't doing good enough at making enough asbestos and his family wasn't very proud of him. <laughs> so he should have actually been pleased with himself. Think of all the yeah. babies he saved. History looks back fine on his asbestos factory. <laughs> but anything <laughs> that he factory. worked at, he viewed as taking away from his existential core need, which was writing. Kafka felt that he did not make literature, he was literature. And he said this multiple <laughs> times. He did. He said it's that. It's like that Megan Fox Machine Gun Kelly thing. <laughs> what is that? What's she that? said the first time she met him, she said, you smell like weed. And he said, I am weed. <laughs> and somehow they're married now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> if a man ever said that to me, I would be like, okay, that's a guy I'm never going to marry. <laughs> you smell like literature. Yeah, I am literature. <laughs> There was this cracked article uh, Rachel and I liked for a long time that was about a man who, like, jumped out a hotel window and did some crazy stuff. And the writer was like, the cop said he was on drugs. He's like, this man wasn't on drugs. This man was drugs. Look at his picture. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. that, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he literally said this. He said to someone, I am literature. He didn't want to write. He had to write. And at times, he would switch back and forth and he would say, God doesn't want me to write. I have to write, but God is trying to stop me. <laughs> By having a job. I'm fighting God. Whoa. He viewed every minute that he spent away from his writing desk in his little room because he was the only one in his house who had his own room since he was, you know, the only son. And uh, he had this little tiny attic room, which he wrote all of these things at this little tiny desk in his room and he would do it at night. So he would stay up all night writing and then he would go to work in the morning. He almost never slept. He almost never ate. He was extremely like pale and gaunt and thin and tall, surprisingly, because, and I'll mention more about this later, but a lot of people think of Kafka as a small man, probably because he had so many insecurities and neuroses and things, but he wasn't small. He was tall. And he had a small house. And he had a small house. Well, he was very thin. And he was really thin. Okay. You're going to give the guy a complex. All right. He was tall. Let's give him that. <laughs> tall and thin. Tall and thin. A lot of people also know this. You'll see this anywhere that you look up anything about Kafka. He considered himself to be like repulsive and he thought that everybody else thought he was repulsive, both like socially and in terms of his look. Looks, but he he wasn't. In fact, Jackie might even call him devastatingly sexy. Perhaps the kind of guy she would have been into back then. How did you know that? Is that what you're leading up to? Wait, she said that? <laughs> Rachel read further down on the outline. Yeah. <laughs> Compliment Kafka's sexiness. Asterisk. I definitely don't have that in the outline. Rachel just knows me really well. No, I, I was going to say, I want to change my answer in a previous episode. I think it was with Lindsay Kelk. We had asked, like, what historical figure are you in love with? I said Oscar Wilde. He's right out. It's Kafka all the way. What? What is wrong with you? You read one 600-page book about a guy, now you want to go back in time and have sex with him? 
I didn't say anything about sex. I'm very pure. I said I'm in love with him. <laughs> you said he's not quite an incel. <laughs> now you're like, damn, love to get with that guy. He just needed to find the right woman. Maybe, maybe. a woman named Jackie. Jackie. I'm going to be, <laughs> sorry, dad. I, I don't think having sex with Kafka would have been enjoyable in any way. I think he was way too <laughs> bony. He was way too up in his head. Oh. Or, or bony. <laughs> Kafka was objectively handsome. All of the literature says this. You don't have to take it from me. All of the literature. <laughs> okay, let's see. He was. Take a look at him, Theo. <sighs> You're the judge of male handsomeness on this podcast. I'm looking up Kafka handsome. Um, he's lacking a little. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't have much. Um, he doesn't have much what? I was about to say he's lacking some color in his face, but these are black and white photos. Yeah, he's like a he's a little pale. He was born in 1883, Theo. <laughs> there are some photos where he looks okay, but I don't know that I would say this is an objectively handsome man who all of literature would say was attractive. I mean, to me, he looks kind of like um, like a bat if michael scott from the office mated with a praying mantis and that would be kafka <laughs> wow that's terrible you know he's afraid of turning into a bug right no no <laughs> yeah. you think he's afraid i think he welcomes it he was afraid of everything well this wasn't in my outline but later on in his life when telephones were invented he was i wouldn't say afraid of telephones but he he refused <laughs> to use them and he was definitely like deeply disturbed by them Whoa. but You have to think of everything in the context of his times, right? Okay, so let's start with this. He viewed himself, like I said, as like being deeply disturbing and repugnant to everyone. I wouldn't go that far. Not to everyone. (laughs) No, I mean, I would, if I saw him, I wouldn't be like, bruh, you're deeply disturbing and repugnant. (laughs) Of course, you wouldn't say it to his face. Yeah. You'd tell your friend later. I don't think I'd say it behind his back unless his personality is terrible. Could you say it in German? So he could understand you. Ooh. Uh, let me Google it. Let me go on Google Translate. I do need to practice since I'm going to Germany. Yeah, you need to practice saying you are devastatingly repugnant. <laughs> you are. Is it deeply or devastatingly? And what? Either one. Disturbing and repugnant. Oh, oh gosh, you are deeply disturbing and repugnant. Du bist zutiefst verstockend und Abstoßen? I see you use the familiar form of you, so that kind of means you're also in love with him. It doesn't mean you're in love with him, it just means you know him well enough to know. I know you really well. Okay, <laughs> sie sind, no, that's he is. Hmm. I'm picturing there's like one German guy listening to this podcast and he hasn't understood a word of it until that and he's really offended. <laughs> he's like, oh God. <laughs> How did they know? How do they know? I can say another German word, which is that his dad uh, called his job at the insurance place which is a, a bread job, meaning you only do it to get bread. And it's like, bro, he only did that because he thought you would like him being a lawyer. Hmm. Another way Theo defeats Kafka. He has a good relationship with his father. It's true. Mm-hmm. And isn't a lawyer. <laughs> I never became a bug. And how many times has he taken you to see prostitutes? Uh, you're right. He hasn't ever taken me to see prostitutes. So. But anyway, so people know this about him. And he did. He visited brothels a lot. He never had kids. And he was engaged a couple of times. And we'll definitely talk more about, like, the women in his what? life. Yeah. he was. Well, he was engaged twice to the same woman. Let's start with that. Their relationship was full of neur- neurosis. But, <laughs> yes, his dad did take him to visit brothels when he was a teenager. And, yes, he was probably uncomfortable with it but wouldn't a lot of people probably have been like if your dad took you to visit a brothel as a teen you'd be you'd be uncomfortable too right yeah but here's the thing it wasn't really unusual and weird for a parent to do that that was pretty normal all of his friends like his greatest friend um max brot who we'll talk about um who was like the great preserver of his works and disseminator and advocate of his works 
He and Kafka and their other friends would go to brothels together all the time. This wasn't a shameful thing. Kafka wasn't ashamed of it. It was viewed as a healthy outlet. And in fact, parents wanted their young sons to do this because if they didn't, they might waste their erotic energies on rushing into an ill-considered marriage. Whoa. I cannot conceive of being concerned that my son is going to waste his erotic energy. (laughs) On marriage. (laughs) On anything. I I hope that I, if I have son, I never concerned myself with his erotic energy in any respect. Well, if you lived in this time period, you would, because (laughs) if your kid makes, like I said, an ill-considered match and marries into the wrong family, the family fortunes are fucked for generations, maybe forever. Your good name is gone. Your fortune that you've worked so hard for is gone. They needed their sons to make smart matches, and you can prevent them from doing that by letting them sow their wild oats where they may. What about their daughters? Did they send their daughters to brothels? Why weren't they concerned with their daughter's erotic energy? That doesn't exist. Are you crazy? (laughs) What I'm saying is, if they just told the daughters, like, too bad— then they should also tell the sons that. Kafka was kind of part of like a burgeoning enlightenment of men in Europe who did understand that women kind of had their own like stuff going on. A lot of other people, especially of their parents' generation, really didn't. So anyway, you would send your your son off to these brothels. Now, Kafka did have a deep fear of sex. He had a fear of sex for many reasons. (laughs) And this is why I spent so long like reading this book and reading different things, because I truly didn't understand. Like everything I saw said like, yeah, Kafka was terrified of sex. He went to brothels all the time. And I was like, (laughs) well, he can't be that terrified of sex if he did it all the time. So I'm not understanding this. But he and his friends, and again, this was a pretty normal thing for the time period. I think Kafka just had more of this fear than usual. They were terrified of STDs. Mm -hmm. They were terrified of getting someone pregnant who they shouldn't get pregnant. And even his friend Max Brot, who I mentioned, he was a true womanizer. And Kafka himself described himself as a womanizer as well. They kind of both were. But they were both, you can read their diary entries, completely terrified of getting an STD, which is a valid concern. Mm -hmm. There are also some sources that say that when the friend group went to brothels, Kafka would just like stand there in the corner timidly and just watch. So I don't know. There's some. I told you he was a freak. uh, Well, there are some sources that say he just stood there and there are other sources that say he participated with great gusto. So I don't know. Hey, everyone. Do you like what you're listening to? Yes. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. Um, if you like it. Why <laughs> you know what you do with podcasts. You pay for them. If you like this <laughs> podcast, go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon. There you can find You know various- what you do with this notably free medium. You pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash fire the cannon. You can find all sorts of giving tiers. If you do $3 or more, you get access to all of our bonus content. And those bonus episodes are great. We have all kinds of them. We have eventually will release the one where I gave Rachel and Jackie a quiz. Mm -hmm. That one's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. That should be this month, actually. Yeah, we love that. We really liked it. Yeah. It'll come out a couple weeks after this episode's release. It was really good. We really enjoyed it. And if you don't feel like giving us money right now... Give us money later. (laughs) Give us money later or... And. uh, Better yet. Or and at the better yet at the moment this time, you can go on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. Or Spotify. Yeah, also Spotify. Or Spotify. All right, back to the episode. When it came to his actual relationships, and this kind of also goes along with like his neurosis about his body. So like I said, he was like very thin and like very insecure about that. He had a lot of obsessions and one of his upset and I believe Kafka probably had OCD mm. and we'll get to this later on, but he had something going on for sure. 
And he felt that he had to be very pure in all things with his body. So like I said, he was the only vegetarian in his family, and his family found it incredibly annoying. Rachel, I'm sure you understand what this is like. I know that's right, yeah. Uh, uh, Franz can't eat the same stuff as the rest of us. Okay, whatever. I guess he's doing his own thing. He might as well turn into a freaking bug. Yeah, yeah. maybe that is why he looks a little bit like a bat. It's a lot of fruit. Because he only eat fruit. <laughs> <laughs> He did that. He was also, like, very obsessive with his exercise. Like, he would, like, swim and run a lot. Villages that were nearby that you would usually ride a horse to, Franz would, like, come home at the end of the day and say, like, oh, yeah, I ran there and back. Mm. He just goes for jogs to other towns. He also, like, at one point went to a sanatorium where he was told, like, you need to always get fresh air. So he would never, ever, ever sleep with the window shut. Didn't matter how cold it was, didn't matter how loud and crowded it was in the street outside or how bad the air pollution even was. He had to have the window open. He was very obsessive about it. Hmm. And again, he's terrified of getting diseases. In terms of his actual relationships, he craved them deeply. He was lonely. He was terrified of being alone. He needed to be alone, though. He couldn't be with people, but he really wanted to be with people. (sighs) Through friends, he met his first fiance, not the first woman he'd ever, you know, had any type of relationship with, but his first serious relationship was with a woman named Felice Bauer. Felice was from Berlin. This is kind of sucky. Like, a lot of people agree that, like, she was not his intellectual equal, and he made a bad choice in, like, becoming obsessed with her, and he should have probably become obsessed with someone more on his level. But she wasn't stupid. She just wasn't, like, an incredible literary genius. She was a career woman. She worked. She read, but not the kind of books that he considered to be, like, highbrow literature. And at one point, he dedicated his first book to her and she still didn't read that and that really pissed him off that's like you and joshua with the podcast (laughs) but also i read a ton of books and steven barely reads it all and it's fine right i don't think you have to have the same taste in books okay but are you literature rachel are you literally the walking embodiment of literature she's not she's never introduced herself i don't think he was (laughs) i don't know i don't know if steven would be good enough for you if you were well no response i took a drink because i thought you were gonna say something Instead, it's just, whoa. I mean, that's your opinion, man. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, that's just, like, your opinion, man. Your opinion, man. man. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Who put Kafka didn't have any health issues? (laughs) It wasn't me. Theo. No. (laughs) And happiness? Someone edited. What? I think we had a hacker. (laughs) Was this my dad because I gave him my my Google Drive login? (laughs) It's definitely Theo. (laughs) No, no, no. I think we had a hacker into the Mm. mainframe. Yeah, because under the section titled Sexuality, someone wrote, this was the happiest category of his life. (laughs) The happiest category. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway. So he meets Felice Bauer one time, once, at a gathering with other friends. And he writes in his journal about her. And he was like an intense observer. He could remember everything like very detailed. And he said like, yeah, she had like kind of a boring face. It was bony. She had this blouse. It was kind of just thrown on, didn't fit super well. There was really nothing very interesting about her. Her hair was kind of ugly. And uh, I was sitting down. And as I was sitting down, I was forming an opinion about her. And by the time I had sat down, my opinion was completely set in stone. And he was obsessed with her. 
And he, at that very first meeting, he made her promise and seal it with a handshake to go to Palestine with him. They were going to go on some kind of like, like Jewish excursion to Palestine, I guess. And she was like, okay. Sounds like they're perfect for each other. She decides to go, she goes back to Berlin where she lives and works and he decides to play it cool. And he only writes her a whole bunch of letters saying, remember when you promised to go to Palestine with me? And then he'd say like, but don't worry if you don't want to. And he was like trying to spare her embarrassment by like forcing her to say no. So he's like, it's okay if you don't want to, but you promised. Remember how we had such a connection? It's fine if you don't write back, but I would like you to write me every day. And so she collected a lot of these letters and like didn't write him back. And like he had friends, mutual friends of theirs going to talk to her to be like, Felice, are you going to write Kafka back? And she'd be like, oh yeah, the letters just got lost in the mail or whatever. So she was like, this dude's a weirdo. He is a weirdo. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I told you he was a freak and you were like, okay, yes. No, there's a lot of things that are freaky about him for sure. Yeah. I feel like if I was the mutual friend, I would be like, okay, I get it. You don't need to write him back. I would tell Kafka like, cool it man i would tell her like are you gonna write him back yeah he really wants to hear from you he really wants to go to palestine (laughs) yeah so they totally lacked any type of like physical spark or like attraction when they met but he grew her into some kind of weird like pedestal idol in his head they did not see each other in person again for nearly a year. They had met in august and they didn't meet again until easter sunday of the following year Mm. because They had been writing back and forth, and Kafka kept saying, like, wouldn't it be great for me to come to Berlin and actually see you instead of just writing to you? And, uh, but I can't go because of reasons. And then she'd be like, all right, well, maybe you could come around this time. And he's like, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm writing this novel. He's writing this novel, which was ended up unfinished, called The Man Who Disappeared. And this novel tormented him all the time. He couldn't get anywhere with it. It was set in America. Well, specifically it was set in uh, Oklahoma, I believe, and it was about a man in Oklahoma. Maybe He'd never been to America. He should go to Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> if that's mm. what he's stuck on. He should have made Felice promise to go to Oklahoma with him instead of Palestine. <laughs> but he was like, I can't go see you while I'm writing The Man Who Disappeared because if I go and see you, that's going to make me so happy that I won't be able to write anything and I need to write. I have to write. Um, so I'm not going to see you, but I'm obsessed with you and I, and I really want to see you. And she's like, okay, like if I were her, this would just drive me crazy, right? Like yeah. you're just jerking me around. Like you're stupid. So finally he agrees to go see her and he's like so crazy about it. He like sends her a telegram the very morning of their visit saying, I'm still undecided. That's it. One line. And then he shows up anyway. <laughs> And they have this incredibly, like, awkward walk through a park where, again, this is only the second time they've seen each other, but they've—she basically didn't remember what he looked like. And yet they're, like, kind of in this weird betrothal. Was she pleasantly surprised? Um, Just as batty as I remember. I don't know, but I know he was pleasantly (laughs) un—he was unpleasantly surprised. unsurprised. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the opposite. How was her blouse looking this time? He was unpleasantly surprised. He, you know, in photographs, he was able to kind of look past the flaws but then when he saw her in person he was like uh she's had really bad dental hygiene and a lot of her teeth are replaced and like her skin's not that great and i hate (laughs) men who are like oh i'm hideous but any woman i'm with she better be a 10 don't hate rachel but he still i mean he was still obsessed with her anyway though he was so weird this is why he's so weird he couldn't decide like whether he liked or hated something 
or whether those were the same thing for him or whether he was obsessed with it and needed it or couldn't stand it. Like that was all very confusing for him. And so he was like deeply, deeply, deeply like, again, putting this on a crazy pedestal so that it would never be realistic. Like we're going to have sex one day. Oh God, we're going to have sex one day. And he kept writing to her and saying like, I'm going to disappoint you. You need to understand I'm going to disappoint you. And he, but he never would like come right out and say it. Did she think they were going to have sex one day? Like, Yeah, because, like, they were okay. talking about marriage. Like, okay, even after they were engaged, which he did in the craziest <laughs> way, by the way. If you remember the uh, Mr. Collins proposal from Pride and Prejudice, this is a crazier <laughs> proposal than that. Much crazier. Okay. <laughs> You're going to love this. But so he was, like, kind of hinting at, like, being impotent, maybe, or, like, not being able to perform sexually, which, like, he could. It's just that he was probably going to get too worked up about it. But he never came right out and said it because he didn't want to offend her. But he also was telling her he was going to, like, disappoint her in a million other ways. Like, you're going to hate being around me. I'm insufferable. I have to write all the time. I'm not going to be able to write while you're near me, so I'm not going to be able to be around you. I have to be alone a lot. Hmm. It was weird. He would do so bad on dating apps. He would do really bad. <laughs> yeah. He would rate himself one star. Do you do that on dating apps? Do you rate yourself star-wise? Kafka would. I am literature. One star. Theo then put into this outline, Kafka then had a stomach ache, which I didn't put in there. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Wait, so what happened with the stomach ache? You put that in there. <laughs> so, but now Felice, like Felice also has kind of put him on this pedestal and is like, he's a great genius, which he was. But he's also really crazy. And she really feared disappointing him as a wife. And he literally couldn't understand this. He had like so little regard for what it's like to be another person. He was so self-absorbed that when she said, I worry, I'm going to disappoint you. He couldn't understand it. And he was like, I'm nothing. I'm literally nothing. How could you disappoint nothing? I'm incapable of being disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing here to disappoint. I am I am so nothing. He was like so down on himself. Wait, can I ask, had he already written other stuff like the metamorphosis or something? something or at this point how did she know he was a genius at this point because she never read his stuff um good question how did she know that he was i mean he was well regarded in certain literary circles but his writing which again he did all night every night pretty much also really tormented him he didn't have a good time with it. He had to do it. But he burned and threw away and crumpled up and destroyed probably like 90% of everything he ever wrote. And so what we have left is the stuff that he deemed good enough. But even that, he wanted most of it burned. And thankfully, his friend Max, who was in charge of carrying out his wishes after his death, did not do what he promised to do. Mm. He did not burn Max. all of his unpublished— Yeah, Max. <laughs> No, we're thankful for Max. Max, Max, Max. Max. <laughs> we're one out for old Maxie. <laughs> he was an incredible perfectionist, um, kind of like the author of The Little Prince. Old Antoine. Mm. Old Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Yeah, go back and listen to our Little Prince eps if you haven't. Yeah. You can hear some stuff about Antoine himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was a perfectionist. He threw away everything he ever wrote, but he also did regard himself as a genius. And at one point in one of his diaries, which I think is so funny— I have to find the actual quote. I don't have it um, on me right now, but okay. he, you want me to find it? Yeah, find it. Seems like you're zipping through your outline. We have time. Yeah, we have time. Zip it, girl. Zip it, girl. Oh, no, that was rude what I just said. That sounds like I'm telling her to be quiet, <laughs> but I'm not. Zip it, girl. In fact, you're saying talk more and faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring the content. That's what zip it means. Um, oh, should we take this time to introduce our Zoom names? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I'm podcast. Uh, I am also podcast. 
I, I'm podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Theo's been messing around with the Zoom names. Kafka is to literature as we are to podcast. <laughs> we are podcast. <laughs> we are podcast. Well, here's my question. The second time you went to Kafka's house, were you all like, let me show you around to your friend? I know where everything is. His house is absurdly tiny. And uh... Welcome to Cribs. Czech Republic edition. <laughs> it almost felt like a little like playhouse, you know, like those little playhouses Whoa. with just like square rooms and square windows. And really, mm-hmm. damn. Okay, so what I was talking about was how like he wrote all the time and he described himself as literature, but he also threw away a lot of what he wrote. So he was really like just kind of torn in pieces over this too. And at one point in his diary, he wrote the words, "Without a doubt." I am now the intellectual focal point of Prague. And then he crossed it out a million times so it could never be read again. But I guess somebody like X-rayed Sorry, it. Sorry, maybe there is a doubt. <laughs> what am I saying? The next sentence in this biography says, this was not reality, it was insanity. And he, he rendered it illegible by putting thick crisscrosses over it. But someone someone was able to read it later on and now it's printed and now I just told the world. Sorry, Kafka. How embarrassing. Wow. Can you imagine writing, without a doubt, I am now the intellectual focal point of houston theo like (laughs) i can imagine someone saying i am literature saying that but this is like many years apart (laughs) do you think that was remotely true no no the biographer (laughs) said this was insanity oh i thought kafka wrote that (laughs) no 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 the biographer said that he said this was not reality this was insanity (laughs) well maybe the biographer meant crossing it out not writing it (laughs) yeah right anyway he had this like long relationship with Felice. And at a certain point, it really, like, they didn't say this, but I kind of felt like this. Like, it became like the sunk cost fallacy kind of thing where they were just like, it's been going on for so long, I have to make this work, even though we have no chemistry and, like, things are kind of falling apart. So he proposed to her in a letter which enumerated the many, many, many reasons she should not marry him. Okay. He said, I'm immature. I'm sexually incapable. I'm socially inadept. I'm not wealthy. I will write, but from literature, I'm going to make very, I'm going to make nothing from my dad. I'm going to get very little. And so he just told her all of these things. And it kind of, you know, makes you ask, like, are we trying to get her to say no? Is he trying to get her to say no? You ever been in a relationship where it's clear the person is just like trying to make you break up with them so they don't have to do it themselves? I'm not sure if he wanted that or not. He told her all the reasons she shouldn't marry him and then said, do you want to be my wife? And then in two days, he got an answer, which was, A resounding yes. Felice was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And he wrote back to her and he said, okay, when I asked you to marry me, there were only three possible responses you could have had. Do you want to guess what they were? Yes, no. Maybe. Ask again later. (laughs) Do you like me? Circle one. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Only three possible responses. No. No, no. Hell hell no. And fuck no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He said the three possible responses that you could have had were... It is impossible, so I don't want to. It is impossible, so I don't want to right now. Or, it is impossible, but I want to anyway. Okay, but so for her to just say yes, he's like, that's not it. That wasn't option. one of the choices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You forgot to mention that it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when I asked you to marry me, you idiot, you should have known these were the choices. People tend to think that, like, for both of them, they weren't really so much genuinely in love with one another as they were both, like, the psychological stress outlet for each other. Like, she was stressed with her family life and her career and stuff, and he was stressed about literally everything, and they just 
just used each other as like a dumping ground. It sounds like he would make her more stressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can see how that would be the case for him, but for her getting like dozens of letters pressuring her to go to Palestine, I don't see how that could help her relax. <laughs> Do we have copies of her letters that she sent him? No. So they might have been equally deranged. Yeah. She saved all of his. He destroyed all of hers, we're pretty sure. I don't think they were that deranged because you can kind of see Kafka's, like, what he's saying about, like, I hate how you won't write to me three times a day and then, like, you must never write to me again. It's too distracting. I love you too much. We can't be doing this. I must write. I must write. But then he's writing to her. This guy's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) He knows how to get the ladies going. (laughs) I don't know. So this was, he was on and off, like, courting her for five years, 1912 to 1917. They were engaged. He broke off the engagement. They got back together again. And by the end of their engagement, he was starting to show signs of tuberculosis. So he broke it off a second and final time. Again, this is him doing all this. He meets her. He's obsessed with her. He starts this whole thing. He asks to marry her. He breaks up with her twice. Madness. Mm. He's a freak. He had this sense, like I said, he was neurotic and he thought all the time that there was stuff wrong with him and that he was like so repulsive and everything. That was mere child's play. He was at times truly and deeply almost going crazy. And the reason I think that he had OCD or something like that is because he had these intrusive thoughts all the time. Mm. He had trouble separating them from reality in that he couldn't tell if they were fantasies or if they were fears. But There was also this kind of prevailing idea at the time, which Freud was around and practicing then as well. Freud was an incel. Uh, For a while. I mean, everybody's an incel for a hot minute or two, right? No, it depends if it's involuntary or not. (laughs) (laughs) He spent a whole summer, like, cutting up eels and convinced that he would be the one to find the female eel. And then he was, like, looking around every day after spending his days, like, in a hot eel shed trying to find women to have sex with and like they weren't interested in him and also he wasn't talking to them because he smelled like hot eels yeah basically (laughs) he smelled like like rotten eel and also he was just looking at women and not talking to them and he would go home and write in his diary about how none of them were paying attention to him because he wasn't good enough or whatever (laughs) i'm sorry what is this about the eels Mm. people didn't realize what is what (laughs) um it's a penis envy thing (laughs) well that i mean yeah that's where he got it but no eels we should do a nonfiction episode where we talk about eels because I read this eel book that was, it's called The Book of Eels. It's amazing. And it tells you all about the history of our eel knowledge, basically. And what? yeah, we we didn't know, like we guessed there were female eels, but there was no proof of them for a long time. That is so meta. The history of our knowledge about eels. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the ancient Greeks thought eels, they like wriggled out of holes in the ground and they weren't born from other eels. They like came from the mud. Like dwarves. And we still have never seen eels mate. And we kind of think we know where they mate and have babies, but we're not positive because we've never seen it. That can't be true. There are eels in zoos, right? They don't mate in captivity. Are you 100% sure we as a human race still have no idea how eels mate? You're ready to go on the record. We're pretty sure, but we've never seen I've it. heard this too. We've never seen eels give birth. We've never seen eels mate. All of my friends are like that. All your friends are like eels? I'm pretty sure all of my friends do something, but I've never seen it. Yeah, but never. we've seen humans mate before. Oh, you're it's right. Not, okay. We don't need to see every individual eel do it. <laughs> we've never seen a single eel do it with another eel. <laughs> and then there are mm. tales of eels that have lived okay. hundreds of years, and sometimes they just, like, don't go through puberty, no. eel puberty. Tales? 
Like A-I-L-S or A-L-E-S? A-L-E-S. Ooh. Because all they are is a tail. Yeah. Eels are very mystical creatures almost. That's interesting because eels are also delicious. <gasps> I love a good eel or eel sauce. Well, the Book of Eels is partially about the author's childhood, like catching and eating eels with his dad. Ooh. I think his name's Patrick Svensson. Let me, let me do a shout out. Wait, do you think a, an eel thinks of itself as just a tail of another animal? Mm. No. It's like, all I am is a tail. Yeah, it's the Book of Eels. The Book of Eels, Our Enduring Fascination with the Most Mysterious Creature in the Natural World by Patrick Svensson. And it's one of my favorite nonfiction books. Yeah, right. What? Yeah, right. You That's not me. one of your favorite nonfiction books. Give me a break. Okay. I don't know what to say to that. There's a lot I could say about Freud. Um, Basically, one of his things at this time was he was talking about how what we think of as madness, you know, think about a mad person, a crazy person. They're ranting and raving and like saying things that aren't true and not connected with reality. That, to Freud, was the after effect of madness. What madness truly was and I don't think Kafka knew this because he he wouldn't have been, you know, necessarily reading medical journals by Freud at this time or ever. Well, also, even if he had read it, he'd be wrong because Freud was wrong about everything. We'll get to that later. But um, the first part of madness isn't the stuff that we see on the outside. The first part is the dismantling of the self, of reality, of breaking away from the structure that preexisted before. And what we see after that is the rebuilding of the self into something that does not match with reality. Hmm. Sort of like, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Edit that out later. <laughs> so like you running down the street with your clothes off, like screaming about aliens, that's not madness. That's the world that you built to replace the absence that was madness. Interesting. Interesting, but not useful. <laughs> well, for Kafka... He didn't, again, know this necessarily, but that's how he felt. He constantly thought that he was slipping into the throes of madness, and at some times he was right. Objectively, he seems to have been right. He never went all the way there, but he was tormented by intrusive thoughts. Some of these things he would write to his friend Max about, and then eventually he would write to Felice about, and he would say, look, here's why I'm so fucked up. Here's why you don't want to be with me. Here's my great confession. And it would be like, I have dreams or like fantasies or thoughts about like be like laying on the ground and being cut up a little at a time and like feeding my own body parts to dogs or like dreams of incest Ugh. or just Ugh. horrible like bloody gory things things that I don't think he actually wanted to do I think he probably had intrusive thoughts because of like pure OCD or something mm-hmm. or whatever he had that caused these intrusive thoughts they were def- they weren't fun for him they were definitely disturbing and they made him feel less than but he also worked them into his works and so like you'll see the metamorphosis which we're going to talk about most people know even if you haven't read it that it's about a man who wakes up and it turns out he's just a giant bug mm-hmm. and that wasn't the first time he had toyed with this idea he had written before about turning into monstrous things, insects. And something about him inhabiting that character, Gregor Samsa, who's the main character in The Metamorphosis, kind of enabled him to turn his mind into maybe not so much a hellscape as more of like a playground. Then it could become a game. Then it was like, well, you can do or say or think anything when you're a huge, disgusting insect, Mm. and it's not 
unexpected or or dehumanizing then because you're not a human. Mm. And so I think in some ways he probably felt like he was not human. He often said he didn't feel like he really belonged in the world. He felt pretty like disconnected from other people. He had a very intense and and deep and all-consuming inner world and he had a lot of trouble like letting anyone into that. But it wasn't that he was bad at expressing himself. He was really good at expressing himself, but when he did, it was often so stark and terrifying that people were afraid for him. <laughs> and there's a chapter in this book called A Near Defenestration, which one of my favorite words, defenestrate just means to throw oneself out the window. Um, but he had written to or Max. To be thrown, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. You don't have to throw yourself. You could auto-defenestrate. Yeah. Yeah, so he had written to his friend Max about this and said, like, I'm going to throw myself out the window. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Questions? Uh, concerns? I'm kind of All right. workshopping this idea, <laughs> in your opinion. <laughs> and so Max actually wrote to Kafka's mom and was like, keep an eye on your son. We're worried about him. And Kafka's mom had also at one point written to Felice and said, look, girl to girl, this dude's crazy and you got to keep an eye on him and you got to make sure he eats. They never actually ended up living together, Kafka and Felice, despite their five-year betrothal and multiple engagements. Mm. Wow. I don't think they ever had sex. That's a very modern relationship. (laughs) Being engaged for (laughs) five years and never having sex. (laughs) (laughs) Or living together and hardly seeing each other. (laughs) So modern. (laughs) So hip. The way that he wrote about madness was really interesting because... He had a lot of like genuine sympathy for people who, I don't know what the politically correct term at that time would have been. He would come across people like on the street who would talk to him who clearly were suffering from delusions or, you know, when he went to these health sanatoriums at different times, both when he was healthy and when he had tuberculosis, um, he would, you know, encounter. Mr. Megorium's health sanatorium. What is that? Have you ever seen that movie? No, I've never seen any movie. <laughs> Not that movie. I've never seen it either. <laughs> I've Did just you make that up? <laughs> No, there's a movie called Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, and I've never seen it, but I've seen the title. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I think they've staked out a place in culture just with the title. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody has to see that movie. You just have to have heard the title. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly don't even know the genre, like if it's a horror movie or a children's movie or what. Yeah, I don't know. Probably a documentary. (laughs) Oh, the reason I just got confused is because um, (laughs) it's a documentary. The reason I got confused is because I had two things going on in my head. One was um, I wanted to tell you guys just a funny aside. Let's hear it. When we were talking about like the definition of defenestration and Rachel was like, well, it's not you throwing yourself out. It could be somebody else throwing you, right? Yeah. I had to do a training at work um, and I have to do the same <laughs> How to thing. properly throw people out the window. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to do the same exact thing every year and it's always the same modules and it's like so infuriating. But the one thing that always makes me laugh is um, fall prevention training. It starts out and it tells you the legal definition of a fall. Rachel, as a lawyer, do you know, could you tell me what the legal definition of a fall is before I tell you? No. It's an unplanned, unassisted descent to the ground. (laughs) Okay. That's so good. Unassisted. (laughs) Wait, he's on the ground. Check his planner. (laughs) Like someone slips and falls. Did you plan to do that? No. Did anyone help you do that? No. Okay, that was a fall. Like I didn't fall. I I simply had an unplanned descent to the ground. Does every word have a legal 
real definition? Um, yeah, probably. I don't know. No, yeah. not every word. <laughs> probably not Mr. Megorium, for example. Mm-mm. That's There's not a probably word. no legal definition. <laughs> Megorium. How about that? There's no legal definition of that. But Kafka, um, he wrote in his diary what pleasure it is to converse with with a complete fool or something like that. But you can look at that now in modern parlance and think like, wow, what a jerk. Or, you know, he's being high and mighty or something. But that wasn't really what he meant by it. He he truly was sincere in thinking like it is so pleasant and refreshing to talk to people who are totally out of their minds, like disconnected from reality. And he almost like kind of envied them and respected them a little bit because he was so full of like self-doubt and like needing the approval of others all the time. Mm. When he talked to someone who like was so far beyond that, like people who are just firm in their convictions, like doesn't matter how unrealistic or crazy their thoughts are or their beliefs are, Mm. he admired that because he was like, yeah, you're not seeking the approval of other people. You're firm in your convictions. There's some debate to whether that's a valid approach to insanity or not, but Mm -hmm. he really kind of envied them and he would talk to people who were insane and and he would think like, I'm on the verge of this and I don't want anyone to know that I'm on the verge of this, but you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Mm. But like a lot of other artists, he had this huge fear of going insane. This is a lot of, you know, Kafka's psyche. I'm not going to talk too much about the end of his life. Um, I mean, he kind of just, it was more of the same. He did eventually move out of his parents' house and live in an apartment by himself. He had other girlfriends. Um, Some of them he was able to get a little more onto, you know, a good eye-to-eye level than he was with Felice. For example, one of them was um, Milena Jasenovich, I believe was her name. That was probably the other great love of his life. And again, they didn't have kids, didn't get together in any serious ways, but he was at least able to converse with her a little bit more openly. He died of tuberculosis, but there's also this interesting... Thing that I read, um, and this was an article called Tall Kafka and His Sisters, and this was published in 1998 in Bomb Magazine. It's by Cynthia Ozick, and she wrote, there are two surprises about Kafka. One is that everybody tend to think, tends to think he's small. Joshua himself said this when I talked to him about it. He said, yeah, Kafka was really short. He was like four feet tall. I was like, what? no, he was not. Whoa. I looked at okay. him. He was six feet tall, the same height as Joshua. <laughs> I never thought he was short. I only thought he was skinny. Okay, he knows nothing. No, he's our mystery information guide. Wow. He lost so much credibility <laughs> yet again. <laughs> but he's not the only one. That's the point. That's kind of the point of this essay is like a lot of people have this misinterpretation of him as being a really small, short person. He wasn't. He was tall. My dad has no opinion whatsoever. <laughs> okay. He's Switzerland again. That's the first <laughs> surprise. And um, Oh, I love these Kafka surprises. <laughs> yeah. She called the surprise tall Kafka inhabits small Kafka. What? What a weird thing to call a surprise. Uh. <laughs> like if someone had a surprise party, you're like, I have a surprise for you. What is it? Tall Kafka inhabits small Kafka. Ugh. Let's call Theo's next birthday party. That'll be the theme. Tall Theo inhabits small yeah. Theo. But Kafka himself seemed to forget that he was tall a lot of the time. He always talked about himself as like being so weak and powerless and like, he was. What? <laughs> What's so funny? Even he has fallen prey to the misconception about himself. He has, because he has such a such a low opinion of himself. Okay. He talk- <laughs> Wait, first of all, you can be tall and still be weak and powerless, Jackie. I, why are you saying that to me? I'm not tall. Because you said, oh, he, he forgot he was tall. He talked about how he was weak and powerless. It's like, no, he, he could be aware of his height and also think of himself as weak and powerless. No, I mean, he literally thought of himself as small. When he met Felice's family, her mother and sister were like kind of 
intimidated by him, but he didn't view it that way. He viewed them as being disgusted with him because he was so in- so small, incapable of being intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> they were um, disgusted. They were intimidated by how incapable he was of being intimidating. <laughs> yeah, he had everything backwards. He was dying. Uh, it's like, why did that information come at that point? <laughs> that could have come a lot earlier. It's like, it's like we have this whole discussion about how, like, yeah, some people are wrong thinking he's short. And then like a minute later, like, after all that, we reveal he, even he thought he was short. Uh, <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. He needs to read that essay. Tall Kafka. <laughs> he needs Kafka. to be surprised by the idea of Tall Kafka inhabiting small. I'm going to read parts of this essay to you. So, frightened smallness and self-immolation. This is Kafka. And there are other compelling reminders of smallness. Kafka belonged to a minority within a minority, a Prague Jew whose language was German in a sea of Czechs whose language was Czech. This interlocking smallnesses of life and letters reinforce our idea of Kafka as confined and shrunken. But in any room, he was likely to be the tallest. Whoa. Tall Kafka inhabits small Kafka. Ugh. All right. The second surprise. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, uh, maybe not. I was going to say, oh, yeah, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. The know. second oh. surprise is called Dead Kafka Evades Death. <laughs> okay. I can imagine that, whatever that describes, being quite surprising. <laughs> Think about this. A European Jew <laughs> in the Czech Republic in <laughs> you, you're going to want to stop laughing now. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. He died in 1924. So this was a good, I don't know, this, the seeds of the Holocaust were being planted long before, you know, the 1940s. But his works and the terrifying realms that they went into, one of their realms, um, I believe it's called In the Penal Colony? Or was it was it judgment? I can't remember. There was one of them that I thought sounded the most terrifying was about a man who's just arrested and is never told why. And he's just brought to jail. And they're like, all right, you're guilty. And he's like, but what am I guilty of? And they're like, well, the fact that you have to ask means you're guilty. And it's, it, it's really trippy. Like, it's just really trippy stuff. And then they bring him to the the gallows and they're going to hang him. And it's like, all right, well, time for you to, to die. And he's like, but I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Tell me what I did. The trial? The trial. Maybe that's it. Yeah. It's really scary. And like just this idea that like you can be put on trial for something and never even be told what it is and then start to believe yourself like, man, if I don't know what it is, it must have been really bad. This is him. Right. So all of these horrifying things that he wrote, he didn't, of course, know what was going to happen after he died. But, you know, it's like sad that he died of tuberculosis and he was only 40. But a lot of people think like it's Probably a good thing he didn't live much longer than that. Unfortunately, all three of his sisters would go on to be murdered in concentration camps. Gosh. Again, like I said, his family ended up being all all murdered later on in the Holocaust. And, you know, if he had lived much longer, probably that same thing would have happened to him. And so dead Kafka evades death is not quite as funny of an idea as small Kafka inhabits tall Kafka or whatever that was. Also, I do have to say this. I don't find it surprising that someone who died before the Holocaust couldn't have died during the Holocaust. Like, why is that a surprise? Well, it's like almost was this a a more merciful death for him? I don't know. Um, Like, was it a tragedy that he died so young or was it like good timing? (laughs) (laughs) And also just the, the kind of, I don't know if I would call it irony, but maybe irony adjacent that 
this word that we think of Kafkaesque, like he never actually even lived to see like kind of the the most salient example of that in his time. But he had this idea of the the possibilities within him. Again, I, I wouldn't say he foresaw what was going to happen, but he definitely had some forebodings. So mm. that was basically all of the important parts of his life that are themes throughout his life. There's just a lot that I wanted to say about him. So I wanted to get those things across. I think he's an absolutely fascinating mind, fascinating consciousness. I think he was really good at putting into words things that a lot of people feel. And I think also that his complete hatred of anything outside of writing was so very strange. (laughs) He actually wrote, conversation bores him. He said he hates everything that is not literature. Conversation about literature bores him. And he believes basically that people should never speak. People just shouldn't talk about anything. Literature is the only thing that matters. It was the only thing that could come close to making him feel as though something were important. So in a way, he kind of was literature, wasn't he, Rachel? I don't know. I also, I'm just going through your outline it looks like you covered the madness, but you didn't cover the happiness section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it didn't really happen, I think, is the thing. Oh, darn. Well, it is in the outline. I found the exact quote. I hate everything that does not relate to literature. Conversations bore me, even when they relate to literature. To visit people bores me. The joys and sorrows of my relatives bore me to my soul. Conversation takes the importance, the seriousness, the truth out of everything I think. He needs uh, Nell Chandler in his life because <laughs> what my mom always told us when we were young was, if you're bored, you're boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turns it right back around on you. All he needed was one person to criticize him. <laughs> it all would have turned around. Yeah. He never got criticized by his father, his mother, whatever. No, they definitely criticized him a fuck ton. Bored Kafka inhabits boring Kafka. Bored people <laughs> bore people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. One thing I didn't mention, I mean, I did mention how he hated work, any work that wasn't writing. He considered writing to be his true work, and he actually um, did something very funny. So, well, so he didn't want to work as a lawyer because that was like too much work, so he worked at this accident insurance company which ironically he later ended up using for himself later on when he got tuberculosis and he couldn't work anymore. So sweet. It's not what you know, it's who you know. But he was beloved in the workplace. He was like very, very good at everything he did and he got away with so much shit. He believed his true work was writing and anything else he had to do during the day to make money was just like taking away from that true work. And so he got a job where he only had to work from, I want to say it was like eight a.m. to 2 p.m. and then he could go home and work and he still considered that to be like far too long hours. He wrote this letter to his boss. When I wanted to get out of bed today, I simply collapsed. The cause is very simple. I am absolutely overworked, not by the office, but by my other work. The office has an innocent part in it only because if I did not have to go there, I could just live for my work and would not have to spend those six hours a day there, which have tormented me so much that you cannot imagine it. I am writing this in the good morning light and would surely not be writing it if it were not so true and if I did not love you like a son. Incidentally... To his boss? To his boss. Incidentally, I will... He loves his boss like a son? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Incidentally, I will certainly be myself again tomorrow, by tomorrow, and will come to the office where the first thing I hear will be that you want me out of your department. He was so manipulative. (laughs) Would that fly for you, Theo, with your job with the symphony? (laughs) Be like, sorry, man, I've been composing too much. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say with this podcast. Oh, uh, with the <laughs> podcast? No, that would not. That would not fall. I love you both like sons. 
<laughs> and that's why I'm telling you that I simply can't bear to be around you. <laughs> and the only path out is insanity. So I think it goes without saying why I'm in love with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. He's so freaking appealing. <laughs> she bought her plane tickets to Palestine. <laughs> we sealed it with a handshake. If you shake somebody's hand, you must go to Palestine with them. It's it's on her for breaking that deal. Yeah, <laughs> so true. Yeah, really. Theo, did you want to tell us? Yeah. Yeah, can I tell you the other thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my other great story about traveling. <laughs> the other one was a great story. <laughs> the other one was the Tower Bridge Kitchen. That's great story number one. Tower Bridge inhabits Kitchen Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was in the Stockholm airport. I was like at the bag drop area and I saw this flight attendant who was, who was like, off duty, like he was just sort of standing around. Mm-hmm. Then these three guys came up to him. I think they were Italian, and they. How could you tell? Because they were like, da, 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 like that. Yeah. <laughs> They're all spinning pizzas in their hands. Um, and one of the guys said to the flight attendant, "Do you speak English?" And the flight attendant said, "Yes." And then the Italian guy. He said something that sounded like Kaleta. Then the flight attendant guy was like, "I don't understand." And the guy just kept saying Kaleta. Kaleta? Mm-hmm. Kaleta? And the, the flight attendant was like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the Italian guy just like threw up his hands and walked away frustrated. Threw that pizza on the ground. <laughs> threw it into the ceiling where it stuck. And then you look up, oh my God, there's a lot of pizzas up there. This flight attendant's infuriating. That <laughs> he asked, do you speak English? And then proceeded to say something that wasn't English? Or did he think it was? Yeah, just over and over and got frustrated with the other person. Oh, what do you think he was trying to say? Kaleta. Kaleta. I have no idea. But it's like, I want to do that to people now. <laughs> do you speak English? Kaleta? Do you speak English? Kaleta. <laughs> Kaleta. Was he, maybe he's saying collate. Do you collate? Can you collate these pages for me? <laughs> <laughs> I have two. I guess I have a couple of funny things, but go ahead, Jackie. Oh, I have I have two stories as well. Well, when I travel, I like to try and like learn a few phrases to just be able to get around like, oh, where is this? Or please and thank you. And, you know, like some common menu items so I can read a menu, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I like languages and I'm pretty good at like picking up on little words and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but I have two examples. I'll just, I'll tell the one about being in Prague actually, because this happened like right around the corner from Kafka's house. But wow. Czech is really a difficult language to learn from being an English speaker. It's a beautiful language. If anyone listening is check. It's yes. gorgeous. <laughs> it, well, it is. It is, but it's it's difficult. It's not really, you know, German, you can kind of like get some, you know, some similarities. But so I had taught myself like a few Czech phrases. I was like so proud of using them whenever I could because I always want to trick people into thinking I'm a local and I can usually get away with it for like a like one minute or so. Mm. But so I was walking <laughs> through the square and it was it was evening time. It was starting to get dark. And this woman said to me in Czech, good evening. And I responded in Czech, good morning. And she said in Czech, do you speak Czech? And in Czech, I said, no. And then she switched to English. (laughs) That was our whole conversation. It did take place completely in Czech, but it it didn't make it because she was like, good evening. And I was like, good morning. And she's like, you don't speak this language. And I was like, yeah, I don't. You should have also learned the phrase. I just don't know what time it is. Then it could have saved you. I speak no, Czech. No, I, I am fluent, but I have no idea what time it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Another one was on the plane. The flight attendant was German, and I tried to speak German to her, and we had this whole conversation in German. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay. And then she said in German, fish or chicken? And I was like, English, please. <laughs> like American? American. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was it. Uh, the I... I I, I, I don't know why I try these things. The the jig is always up very fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, go okay. ahead. First of all, Stephen and I are about to go to 
Germany for the audience, the podience. It's all for you, audience. Yeah, we're, we're going for you guys. Mm-hmm. Because my family had a German exchange student when I was in high school and she's getting married. And she's very good at English for obvious reasons. But she says her husband doesn't speak any English at all. And Stephen was saying normally if a German says they don't speak any English, they're usually pretty good at English. But Ramea is like, no, he doesn't. And I keep trying to make him practice and he won't practice. So Stephen took German for four years of high school, Mm. but uh, when he took the placement test in college, he said he didn't even place into 102, so I guess he got discouraged, (laughs) (laughs) and he hasn't studied since, but I've been trying to get him to at least go on Duolingo. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. So I had um, like a law school buddy who I won't get super specific, but she's from the Middle East. She speaks amazing English. She has like a very light accent. And usually I pride myself on being able to understand what people are saying if they're speaking English with an accent because of all my time with my little Korean students. And she told me, I was like, oh, what are you and your husband doing for break? And she said they were going on vacation to another city. And I was like, where are you going? And she said, "We're oh, we're going to Miami. And I was like, what? And she said, we're going to Miami. And I said, Miami. And she said, yeah, you've never heard of it? And I was like, no, I guess not. And she's like, it's a really famous city. It's in Florida. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> sorry, Miami. Oh. <laughs> but the reason I got confused is because she doesn't really have an accent at all. <laughs> so I wasn't <Yeah>. prepared. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. I had a couple other things from Father's Day this weekend, just very short snippets. One of them is at dinner, Rebecca announced to the whole family, she goes, I think I have exfoliative colitis. Does she mean ulcerative? What? She's like, exfoliative colitis? You've never heard of that? And my, no, my dad was like, I've heard of ulcerative colitis. She's like, no, you know, it's when the skin on your lips is kind of peeling. We're like, colitis? But she meant... Colita! Colita! <laughs> exfoliative chylitis. Like, chylitis, not colitis. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because that would be inflammation of the colon on your lips. Colitis. Yeah, but it's just like she's announcing while we're eating dinner, oh, by the way, everyone, my colon's not doing well. It's because I've exfoliated my colons too much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said colons. Uh, that one I thought was funny. The other one was some people visited... Uh, we're visiting from Illinois who they live next to my grandpa's farm and it's a family that has three kids they have a boy who's a junior in high school one who's like in sixth or seventh grade and a girl who's about to be in third grade and my mom was hanging out with them on the beach and when she came back she was like oh yeah you know towards the end they were getting like they were getting kind of antsy and they like the boys wouldn't stop throwing sand at each other so I told i distracted them i said uh do a i told them if they did a sandcastle building contest i would pay them based on how they placed and everyone was like oh okay but i and then i realized like mom you shouldn't have to pay a junior in high school money to, <laughs> to not, not throw, throw sand. sand at his little sibling <laughs> like if she just meant the sixth grader and the third grader i'd be like okay but no this like 17 year old boy was the catch that she gave him sand dollars no she paid real dollars she paid it was like ten dollars five dollars and then three dollars <laughs> I feel like that's about it, but that's what we got up to. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Mm. Let's say bye. I have to get ready to go. I'm flying out. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> See you next week for the Metamorphosis Part 1. Kafka later. <laughs> Write in and let us know if you agree with Ooh. me, Kafka was a little freak, or if you agree with Jackie, he was a tall, hot man who was not a freak at all. <laughs> also, please write to let us know if you're going to go to Palestine with us. <laughs> Shake on it. We'll Spit write you three letters a day for a year. <laughs> <laughs> reminding <Yeah. laughs> if you would like to let us know your opinion on kafka's weirdness his hotness his height blah 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 we can be reached on tiktok instagram twitter at fire the cannon pod we also have an email fire the cannon pod at gmail.com and we have a website which is fire the cannon pod.com fire the cannon podcast.com whatever check all of those out we're all there Again, if you would like to show your appreciation by tossing a few bucks our way, go to patreon.com slash fire the cannon. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. Is that enough? Thank you. I still can't believe Kafka didn't he was tall. realize he was tall. I, feel like, I still feel like I didn't do a great job. Like I feel like there was so much more to him, but you could just talk about him forever. So maybe we'll have to have a part two. Well, maybe we'll do a follow-up. Yeah. There were definitely things on the outline that you didn't cover. Hello, yeah. his period of sexual happiness, his stomach ache. <laughs> <laughs>